Welcome to the Fireman Trainers Podcast, Season 6, Episode 6, published on October 10th, 2023. We are part of the ConcealedCarry.com family network of podcasts. In this episode, we'll be talking to Laura Carno and Quinn Cunningham about Faster Colorado. Sit back and relax for this week's episode. This episode is also brought to you by our friends at the FTA, Firearms Trainers Association. Visit their website at ftaprotect.com to learn more about their instructor coverage they offer and their competitive pricing. As a certified instructor, you can become an FTA member. And for listening to this podcast, you can get 10% off your policy by entering promo code FTP10 at checkout. This episode is brought to you by the LSR Classic Trainer. I use the LSR Classic system in my classroom because it allows me to teach first-time gun owners proper side alignment, proper drawing from a holster, and trigger control without stepping on the range, saving me time and the student money by not firing rounds downrange. When the student is ready, they know what to do because of the classroom training. LSR Classic is easy to set up and tear down because all you need is a laptop with a webcam to use it. That allows you to set up anywhere you can take your laptop. The application also works with any laser device from laser cartridges you put in your firearm to dedicate laser trainers. LASR is veteran-owned and operated. Find out more information at LASRapp.com and receive a special 10% discount by using discount code FTP10 at checkout. We bring this podcast support in the industry, the Second Amendment, and most importantly, every firearm instructor in America that dedicates time and energy into making gun owners more knowledgeable. Today, we're joined by two people from Faster Colorado, Lara who is the executive director and Quinn, who is the lead instructor. Welcome Quinn and Lar, and thank you for spending time with our listeners tonight. Thanks. Thank you for having us. Yeah. For those who aren't familiar with Faster Colorado and especially with uh, Lar and Quinn, can you, Lar, can you start us off and tell us a little bit about uh, what you do for Faster Colorado? Sure. So Faster Colorado is a, a training program for armed school security teams. And your listeners are probably uh, familiar with Faster Saves Lives in Ohio. Uh, I went out there in 2016, saw th- what they were doing. We had our first class here in 2017, and we've been at it. This is our seventh training year. We're in about 45 school districts in Colorado, and we've had, um, at the end of this year, we'll have about 350 people who've gone through our program. So um, when schools authorize armed staff in their district. And that's how it's done here in Colorado. The school district has to authorize it. Um, They need to get training. And before FASTER, they were getting some training somewhere. And um, what we brought them is some world-class training. And uh, uh, we continue to hear from students that they've never had any training like this. So we're, we're really proud of what we're putting out there. That's great. Quinn, what's your background? Well, I'm the the lead instructor for FASTER. I am in charge of the instructors, course development, lesson plan development, um, things like that. I'm uh, 28 years law enforcement. I just retired from the SWAT team after 22 years. Uh, I've been an instructor for about 20 years now, and uh, I like to do a lot of competitive shooting. You're a good shooter. That's good. Plus, (laughs) you know the tactics. Those are uh, very good combinations for a uh, school safety program such as this. Um, well, Laura, I'll throw the first question out to you. Um, you were talking about uh, school safety in Colorado, but how do you go about um, get raising awareness of what you're doing, what you're offering to the uh, teachers that are in Colorado? Yeah, so the first year was challenging because um, back in 2017, very few school districts in Colorado 
we're talking about it. Although the year the the um, policy is about twenty years old, um, schools were very very quiet back then. So uh, all I was trying to do was offer one class for our first year, get some people at the class so that the folks from Faster Saves Lives in Ohio could come out here, um, bless us and say, we can use the faster name and and move forward. And I couldn't find any people to come to this first class. So what I ended <laughs> up doing, um, because you know I, I'm not going to call up a school and say, hey, do you have armed staff? Because nobody is going to talk to a stranger and answer that question. So I ended up calling um, sheriffs in a lot of the rural counties that we kind of heard that there were armed staff programs in these counties. And I just told these sheriffs, I'm not asking if it's happening in your jurisdiction, but if it is, I have free training. I was giving away free training that first year. So we ended up having, I think it was 17 or 18 students in that first class. And, and what's interesting, you know, now that we're up to level four, um, we've, you know, added some, um, increasing levels of difficulty. Um, our first level four class, we had a number of students in that class who were with us our very first year, and uh, you know, including one young lady who it was her first year teaching that year. And fast forward seven years, she was hands down the best person in level four, still a very young woman, obviously. Um, but we looked at each other and went, man, we, we created something here that, that has really made a difference in Colorado. So the, the, word, the word gets out um, mostly by word of mouth in these schools. Um, but also Quinn and I do media, um, especially when there's, there are these school shootings. Um, we're, we're kind of looked, looked to, to you know, offer some, some sense of like, what are the solutions? You know, and you know, with like Coventry Christian, the nation is in mourning. What are some solutions? Um, so it gives us an opportunity to talk about that, and that you know certainly drives interest our way. Mm-hmm. And de- definitely, because uh, you know, every time there's a school shooting, uh, unfortunately, it becomes very politicized, and there are very few calm voices out there talking yeah. about um, you know rational solutions to you know to what can be done. Because you know one of one of the things you know. I always point out, you know, how much, how much money do we put into protecting our banks and, you know, and how much do we put in the same, you know, do we put the same amount into protecting our schools? You know, same thing, you know, when it comes to fire drills, you know, it's been since the 1950s, since anybody has died on a school fire in the United States. And that's because all the fire codes that have been implemented since and because people said, you know, if we got a problem with a fire, we got to find a solution to it. It's not just as simple as going long and outlawing matches or something else like that. You've got to find an effective way of uh, fighting the fire and slowing it down so that people can make it out safely. And uh, we've been successful as a, as a country. We just have to be a little bit more um, pragmatic about it when it comes to how to deal with the active shooters and, you know, in the aftermath. You know, somebody mentioned to me being at a department store and there was an armed guard uh, in the lingerie department. And and he said, I just thought of you. Why why is the lingerie department better protected than our schools? <laughs> I was like, yeah, I mean, that 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 that's a really legitimate point. Mm-hmm. You imagine if we uh, if we protected our kids like we protected our money or our lingerie, uh, what this world would be like. <laughs> It puts things in a whole different uh, picture, doesn't it? When you when you yeah. look at it, look look at it that way, and the the thing about it is, I think uh, you know the faster program brings this to light in 
big bright uh, lights in my mind is they're not going along and forcing somebody to do something they don't want to do they're taking the people the the janitors the teachers the school administrators that are there to help the kids that are there willing to do whatever they have to do in order to keep them safe and give them the tools in order for them to keep them safe and you know sometimes that's as simple as first aid of you know taking care of the boo-boos on the on the playgrounds and other times it's more you know force and knowing how to run you know a firearm properly whether that's a handgun or whether that's a you know a rifle type of thing and that's where you don't want to think about that but programs like faster uh get give those people the uh the information they need in order to effectively respond to a threat yeah and, and quinn i'm wondering if you we just had a class this last weekend um and had two unnamed um students who were very 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 good coming into level one can you just Quinn, talk about, um, I'm sorry to ask a question here, but I think it's relevant to what you were talking about, <laughs> taking over your podcast. But, but these, they were exceptional in coming in at such a high skill level in level one. And can you just, Quinn, talk about that for a second? Like, we were like, wow, these are two really high level shooters. Yes, uh, very quiet, very humble uh, during introductions. This is uh, my name. This is... Uh, the school I'm associated with and my position and went through all the, all of the introductions. And at the very end, when the instructor says, uh, who, who served in the military and these two guys raise their hands and I'm like, okay, all right. And then they come out and they are just drilling it and they're, uh, they're accurate and they're fast. And, uh, given where the, where they were from, um, the, we're pretty sure that they were a special operations community and, uh, came over once they didn't needed a new mission. And so uh, they decided to help uh, help out at the schools. And uh, yeah, those guys can come to my gunfight anytime. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, and that's where they not only bring the firearms, they bring a lot of, uh, a lot of other skills too, which, um, you know, one of the things where when I went through the faster program here in Ohio, um, you know, they just don't teach you how to shoot fast and, and accurate. They teach you how to, you know, deal with the aftermath of, you know, from a first aid perspective and stuff like that. And that's one of those things to where in a lot of cases, you're going to use the first aid probably more, more so than your firearm skills, uh, you know, during, during your lifetime, hopefully. And those, those are things where the, it, it keeps, keeps the program very balanced. I think, you know, to keep that in mind, because sometimes you yeah. need a hammer. Sometimes, sometimes you, you need a, you know, a napkin to, you know, dry up the tears. I think more important than any of that is the mindset aspect. And, mm -hmm. um, we, we start our level one class with mindset for, it's a two hour block. Um, trying to just put people in the, the right frame of mind. Um, and it's, and it's graphic and I get loud and I'm yelling and, um, I'd say, you know, 30 to 40% of, of the people are, are wiping away tears when I, when I kind of get to the, the, uh, climax of the class because of it's, it's so important. Um, the, the mind is the weapon. All else is supplemental. And if your mind isn't tuned, isn't honed, isn't trained, which is something we don't typically do, um, we're all, all of us are guilty of that from law enforcement all the way to the, the concealed carry community. We don't train enough mindset. Um, and if you can train that all else is supplemental. Yeah. How, how many of us look at, uh, 
classes or put as instructors put on classes that are three, 400 rounds in a single day because people like to get out there on the range and shoot and move and, you know, shoot from uh, various positions. But at the same time, what do we do to program their minds so that they're ready to look down, you know, their sights on their guns and be able to make the proper decision at the proper time or know when to draw, draw their gun, you know, because those are all skills that are, that are just as uh, valuable as knowing when, when to, or how to go along and, you know, hit that set, center ring on the target. An instructor is, is, is not only uh, an instructor, they're a presenter, they're a coach, they're a mentor, they're a leader. And if you're not rubbing some of your students the wrong way and getting them out of their comfort zones, you're not doing them any justice. Yeah, it's cool. I did some, uh, some different positions. I shot 300 rounds. I'm shooting splits at like, you know, a, a 19 an 18 a 17, but you, you are doing them a disservice if you are not making them think and not sometimes agitating them a little bit to pushing them, pulling them, clawing them out of their comfort zone. Mm-hmm. Yep. One, one of the things that I've uh, in my classes or uh, my advanced classes, I've been adding uh, force on force, which really which really goes along and brings things to light because unless you are military unless you are law enforcement you probably for the average civilian never have a gun pointed at you and to go along and actually do force on force to where even an airsoft has a certain pain factor to them and it it makes you realize why you why we as instructors teach certain things at certain times to make sure that you know you can survive but sometimes as I go along, 85% of what people think they know about guns comes from Hollywood. So why can't I do a John Wick and make my bullet go around corners right. and everything else like that? Because it doesn't work like that. I don't care who you are. Um, you know, they just don't go. They don't do what they what they try to make you think they do in movies. You're not supposed to shoot the gun out of their hand, apparently. Yeah. <laughs> like we've learned in Hollywood. Yeah, you know, exactly. When, uh, the scenario-based training, it, it does put you in a level of stress that most of these people haven't really encountered. And so they, they feel those sympathetic reactions to the stress on their, their very first airsoft, you know, gunfight where they're having the, all of the, those, those reactions, the tunnel vision, the fine military skills and, and all of that stuff too. So those are very important to do that. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And it's one of, one of those, um, one of those factors where, uh, for listeners, I will be doing uh, a podcast in the near future on uh, force on force to give people ideas on how to set things up. But I also recommend taking a class specifically on force on force so you under understand it, but not just listen to a thirty minute uh, podcast about it. Question for you, Quinn: What what all includes in the curriculum that you teach uh, with uh, Faster Colorado? So we have the, the four levels of classes. Um, we are starting the development on the, the fifth level. Um, level one is a is a three day class, and the 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 course length is pretty much dictated by the the insurance companies um, that these schools have. Um, and Laura can talk more if you want to know about insurance. Um, it's a twenty four hours for the level one class. Um, it's sometimes it's, it's goes to 28, 26, because we have certain performance objectives that we have to, we have to hit. Um, like I said, we start with mindset. That's about a two hour class. 
We talk about uh, tactical casualty care. We do the, the use of force laws in Colorado, and then we hit the range, um, shoot for a little bit, um, go and do some more practical stuff with the tourniquets and the wound packing, shoot for a little bit. Um, they qualify at the Colorado Post standard, which is 25 rounds. However, we uh, we add two rounds, making it 27, and they need to get 100% on that target. So it's 27 out of 27 rounds um, to qualify. Once uh, we're done with that, we go into the force on force. And luckily, utilizing the law enforcement facilities that we have access to, we have uh, we have shoot shoot houses available to us, and we have simulators available to us. So uh, half the group will go to the simulator, half the group will go to uh, the force on force, either force on target, force on force, um, etc. And then they'll switch. So everybody's getting the simulator and some force on force, force on target training at the end. Mm-hmm. Um, level two is is all shooting and. Level two, I've taken uh, one of the classes that I designed when I started after I've been doing some uh, competition shooting a little bit and taking taking some of the speed and accuracy stuff and, and taking it to a, a higher level. Um, that's a two day class. They they also have to qual during that during that class. It's still the same qual twenty seven out of twenty seven with one hundred percent required on the silhouette. Um, level three and four are kind of the same. Um, just the the standards of accuracy, uh, a little bit more team tactics, the later on we get in the programs. Uh, but those classes start on the range. We typically do the, uh, the qual first. And if they don't qual, then we actually ask them to leave and they have to go to, uh, go back to level two. Um, and then the, uh, force on force on the second day is actually in one of the schools. So we get a school, uh, Obviously, we have we have a whole bunch of schools available to us. So we get schools. We go in there on the weekends, and uh, we start with developing safety plans. We do some tabletops, and then it's force on force, force on target. After that, I'm going to ask this. I'm pretty sure I know the answer to it. But why do you require 100 percent on your target? Well, the the insurance uh, companies actually said that we have to go by Colorado Post standards, uh, which is 25 out of 25 for the baby cops leaving the academy. Um, they have to score 100% and they have to, um, everything on the target, obviously in certain timeframes. Um, so we've pretty much just followed along with the Colorado post standard was, but we wanted to make it a little bit different and a little bit harder. So we added those two rounds. Okay. And that's, I think that's really good because, uh, in Ohio, you've only got to hit 80% for our law enforcement qualification. And I'm not big fan of that because if you're shooting in a crowded situation you want to make sure 100% 100% of your rounds are hitting your intended target not you know somebody behind them not you know going going off the wall or anything else like that for it so it's uh, that's good i'm glad to hear their post requirements are a little bit higher than some of the other states you know and there's the expectation for the 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 school staff the expectation is that they handle the problem and take care of it with no collateral damage. And when you look at law enforcement shootings, they're pretty, pretty poor as far as their accuracy rating. And it's kind of one of those things like, well, you know, cops really can't shoot. And so they're at like 17, 20, 25%, depending on where they're at. Well, with one of our staffers getting into some type of gunfight or some type of shooting, that's, there's no margin for error. And the expectation is they take care of the problem. So 
they can't they can't say i i haven't been able to dry fire they can't say i haven't been able to train um so i i do like the 100 standard um it is totally doable with uh with the, the right training the right repetitions and the right program mm-hmm. and it's also it's also part of what helps the community to feel a sense of confidence with what we're doing so you know if, if some if somebody who has no idea about the policy they're they don't own firearms and they hear about um, people, employees being armed in schools, they, they might not know anything else beyond that. But once they hear that our instructors are active duty law enforcement instructors, once they hear that we're training in the same facilities that cops train in to go through their academy and do their in-service training, once they hear it's the same test, we actually make it a little harder. I mean, we, we do those things on purpose because we want we want the community, the, the parents who have um, their children in schools that have armed um, security teams, we want them to, to know that we have put all of that, that extra thought into it um, to make sure that it's the best possible training they could be getting. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and that's, uh, that's one of the things that I think is really good. But with uh, Faster Saves Lives as well as Faster Colorado is just the confidence and the way you go about it it's not just you know somebody carrying a gun um and doing something it's you're taking them to a higher level of competency with those firearms and even in a lot of cases of fire of uh you know law enforcement now you can always point to you know a SWAT team or something else like that's got higher competency to it but at the same time the average police officer uh the armed staff has a higher competency uh, firearm wise than even the average law enforcement officer. So that's uh, a great, a great requirement and great level of uh, training to really set the bar high uh, for those students. Uh, uh, question for you when it comes to the laws in Colorado, um, can you go over a little bit about what that is? I know you, t- you talked about before to where the school boards have got to authorize it, but is there more to it than just the school board authorizing it? Sure. So um, this law has been in Colorado for about 20 years, and um, we're that it would be better if it was easier um, and if it was universal. But this is what we have here in Colorado, very similar to what what goes on in you know 30 plus other states across the country. That there's some sort of local decision making. So here in Colorado, it's either the school board or the charter school board. So we have charter schools within school districts. So if there is a school district that says no way, but a charter school sitting in that geography says, yes, we want to do it, the charter schools can make that decision. Um, So consequently, we have about 60% traditional districts that have come through our training, um, 40%-ish charter schools in more suburban districts. So, So the district has to um, agree to the policy, pass some resolutions, there's some legal things they have to do. Um, but then, and that's not it. That doesn't mean, okay, everybody carries. That means they seek volunteers, as you mentioned earlier. They go through a vetting process. And um, what we've noticed in the last seven years is uh, the vetting processes have gotten much more rigorous um, from you know panel interviews, that include members of law, local law enforcement, or um, a, including a board member who's opposed to the policy, or like all kinds of very rigorous um, uh, vetting processes. Um, and then there's um, pretty strict policies and procedures in all of these schools. And you know, the, 
the, the schools that are armed have become sort of this community, um, even though they're spread out all over the state, um, where they help each other with, you know, can I see your policies and procedures? And we have some retired superintendents on our team at Faster that are also helping helping with that. But um, so that nobody has to reinvent a wheel, they, they're, they're kind of plugged into a community that's already doing that. Why start your own policies and procedures from scratch? Um, but what we see very consistently is um, if any, th this is all concealed carry, by the way, I'm sure that was um, obvious, but I just want to say that um, a common policy we see is if anybody ever sees your firearm, you are off the team flat out. Um, so there's some very stringent requirements to be, to get on the team and to stay on the team. Um, and then, you know, the training that we've been talking about, that's their annual training. We, we do their annual required training with the post qualification, um, so that they, you know, their insurance company can check that, that requirement box. But most school boards are also saying weekly, you need to dry fire quarterly. You need to have, um, law enforcement in your, in your facility doing drills with you monthly. You need to have your team at the range. They are adding not just, you know, do your annual annual training qual, but and all of these other things. So, so we've been very impressed with how seriously school boards have taken this, um, and and how much that's increased over the last seven years that we've been paying attention to it. Yeah. What What would you say is the percentage of uh, volunteers that come through that have never used a firearm before? It's pretty low um, okay. when 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 a school goes goes down this road, they look for volunteers. Um, occasionally, somebody will say, "I've always wanted to. Maybe this is the the you know my opportunity." Um, but mostly, it's the people who they're concealed carry holders outside of school. They're disarmed when they they come onto campus, um, and they've been concealed carry holders from you know years to decades. Um, occasionally, we get somebody who's doesn't have a concealed carry permit, but they've been constitutional carrying for ever. Um, they have to go through some processes, obviously. But I'm, I'm, I'm thinking of like a couple of people over the years who have the right mindset, grew up in a gun family, um, and then they went and got training before they came to level one because it's not a, a beginner class by mm -hmm. any stretch. Yeah, that's, uh, that's, 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 uh, that's really good that you've got uh, gun owners that are stepping up and even, uh, you know, a few, you know, newbies that are, you know, willing to step up for, to do those types of things, um, really shows their dedication, to the program for it. How, what do you do in order to, uh, cover the cost of the program? Yeah. So, um, most schools after they've, um, been in, um, have had an armed security team for a number of years, they start building that into their budget. Um, but we do raise money for those early years. They make a decision to have an armed team, but they budgeted this year um, for this year. Last year, they don't have the money. So, um, so we raise um, private money um, from you know indi random individuals. Um, we have a, a raffle going right now, um, open to Colorado residents only. And then we have some great sponsors. Um, Quinn, do you want to talk about our our chief sponsor? Uh, sure. Uh, one of our, I guess the, the title sponsor would be Shadow Systems, a uh, fire manufacturer out of Plano, Texas. Um, they have been great with 
with giving us all the support. Um, in fact, they actually called us after Uvalde and said, what more can we do? And so we've, we've been talking to them on, on what they can do as a company, but uh, they're giving us guns to raffle. They're giving us uh, T-shirts to hand out, swag to give to all the all the the, uh, the students, the shooters in the classes. Um, and so it's been a great relationship with them. Yeah, and, and these raffles, you know, for for Shadow Systems to donate a pistol, and and Quinn, some of these have been pistols that are hard to get at your gun yes. store, right? Um, but we're, we have them in the raffle. And so, you know, if you look at a $700 gun, we might be able to raise $7,000 off of that. Um, so it, they, they really, in in donating those guns, have allowed us to really multiply, um, multiply those donations. So, and that just helps us with, you know, these little bitty um, rural schools that have, you know, 100 kids K through 12 in one building. They're never going to have enough um, per pupil money to afford a security guard or a school resource officer. Armed staff is their only choice. So it helps us to get those folks in for, um, you know, get their folks in for the first year, um, sometimes into the second year, so that they don't have to forego this great training and have, you know, potentially undertrained people um, armed on campus. So our our sponsors have been um, been just tremendous. You might know um, Sean Maloney in Ohio. He yep. has um, the American Freedom Liberty Foundation, and um, and we were able to apply for a grant there as well. So we we've had just some some fantastic people come forward um, to say how how can we help? Um, and and this year after Coventry Christian. We were we had a four times higher spike than even after Uvalde, and we had to expand instructors. We had to expand ranges, and we're looking at each other like, "How the heck are we going to pay for all this?" And um, our sponsors just um, came forward. The, the people who who sponsor faster have a heart for this, and um, we we couldn't be. Um, we feel so lucky to have relationships with them. Mm -hmm. And and when you look at what faster does, um, you know, every little, every little bit helps and, you know, depends on the school and what they're able to, to afford, but it's just a great way to give back to, you know, keeping our kids a little bit safer for, it. you know, yep. we, we go, we go along and we tell them to put seatbelts on when they get in the car and doing all those kind of things, not because we're expecting a, you know, an accident, but at the same time, we understand it's not the odds. It's the stake. It's what at stake that why we go along and wear seatbelts and want to make sure we've got trained, uh, staff on hand, you know, whether it's first aid or whether it's, you know, a more serious situation for, uh, from those, those standpoints. So that's great. You know, do you guys ever do um, anybody besides schools and your uh, through your faster training? Yeah, so I'll I'll give you a couple examples. Um, we we started to um, uh, dabble into the church security, and it happened because so many of our our school security team members are um, also on their church um, armed security uh, team, and so they would come back and say, "Hey, can my church team come too. So our first mission is schools, but as we have an extra lane or two, we absolutely will open that up to um, school security teams or church security teams, pardon me as well. The other thing is uh, on occasion, we've heard from just an ordinary Colorado citizen who says, hey, how do I 
come through this great training. And we say, well, do you have a checkbook? Um, because we we're happy to have people come through if we have an empty lane and they can help us to defray the cost for another student. Um, but we also think that to know faster is to love faster. And I, I think of a, a handful of folks who've been through over the years, again, when we've had an, an empty lane, we're, we're not going to keep a school person from going through. But um, these are people who continue to give us, you know, a, a full scholarship a year or more, because they actually came through and feel a part of the program. So, um, and, you know, we look at that and say, okay, that's one more well-trained armed citizen that, um, that is out there and could benefit from, from the training and um, understands our program and will speak well of it and continue to support it over the years. Mm-hmm. So there's little seeds that you plant and you can harvest, you know, get, you don't harvest it immediately, but you can harvest down the road when the, those people see, you know, are yeah. able to donate, able to put that into, um, into practice and all that. Yeah. Um, talking about that, um, do you have any examples about where your students have been able to apply the knowledge that they've gained in your classes to real life events? Yeah, we had um, one one situation uh, so far, you know, and there's been there's been uh, some medical emergencies where our, our staffers have responded to. Um, but there was a one one incident where uh, an individual uh, in a rural area uh, wanted to wanted to commit suicide by someone else. And so he thought, well, best place to do it would be at a school. And so he went to the school. Um, he, he started causing some problems in the parking lot. Um, our, our, our staffers who are, uh, some of, some of, some of the greatest people that I've ever met, um, they, they did exactly how they were trained, even though it was outside of the school, they, they locked down the school. Uh, they went through the, the tactics and the, uh, the procedures and protocols that, that we taught them for something going on outside. Um, and we're able to, to protect the kids because he was armed and he did have intent on hurting someone anyone um in order for law enforcement to 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 kill him uh rural area so law enforcement was about 35 minutes away so imagine if he started started executing children or doing something how many how many people would have been hurt by this individual just because he didn't have the uh fortitude to uh do it himself but they were able to uh uh locate him they isolated him uh, they contained them and uh, they waited for law enforcement. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Laura, you're still on mute. Without a shot being fired. <laughs> without yeah. without a shot being fired. And that's that's good. And, you know, put that in perspective, uh, had Ed Monk on before, and he points out that if you don't, if your plan for a school shooter is call 911, that you're looking at at least double digits uh, uh, fatalities because of even in a metropolitan uh, police department, if they arrive within two to three minutes, which would be extremely fast, that's also going to be, you know, four or five minutes after the shooting starts. And that means that you, they've got that much more time to go along and, car, and cause carnage and, versus somebody who's in the school who can respond very quickly from a school, from a, you know, room down the hall or in the same room they're in, um, be able to stop them uh, quickly. And hopefully, just like in the instance you talked about, Quinn, there, if you don't have have a shot fired, then that's a uh, even a bigger win to be able to get the take them to seek seek help and such. Well, and, and yeah, we had that. 
go ahead, Quinn. If you think about it, um, when if 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 I'm on duty in law enforcement and I'm in the parking lot and I can't hear shots, it's going to take two to three minutes for me to even get the call. Um, even with a dispatcher getting off nine one one, running it to the channel one dispatcher on a note, um, it's still going to take time for me to get in there. Where our armed staffers, their response time is a one point five second draw. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I was just going to say that yeah, you know, we have um, fairly recent 2019 uh, example here in Colorado at the STEM school shooting, and so many people have never heard of STEM school because it was not a quote unquote mass shooting. Um, it was over very quickly, but um, Kendrick Castillo, um, a senior at STEM school, um, and there were two shooters, by the way, um, got up, lunged. Um, at one of the shooters and pinned him against the wall, taking the fatal shot um, to his chest. But um, saving that whole room full of kids, that that would have looked like Uvalde, um, if not for Kendrick Castillo. Um, the teacher in that room, Miss Harper, had a concealed carry permit. Um, if that school had been in our uh, had passed the policies, um, maybe maybe we don't know yes or no if she would have been one of the the armed staff, but she was the only person who could have saved Kendrick Castillo's life. Um, law enforcement, how, how long did it take Quinn for, because those were your guys, right? That responded. Yeah. Initially um, our guys came from the range, which was about a, uh, probably about an eight minute response time. Um, we had a SWAT school going on at the time. Um, the the uh, neighboring sheriff's office was a little bit closer. It's actually in their jurisdiction. Um, they're a little closer. They probably got there within five minutes with our guys, with a with a SWAT team showing up in eight minutes, which has n- never happens. Right. It usually takes takes SWAT guys like you know they got to shave their arms and gel up their tattoos. It's going to take forty five <laughs> minutes for. <laughs> I can say that because I was on SWAT. Yeah. <laughs> well, one one of the things I don't know how big your schools are, um, where where you are, but I know the high school that my daughter went to had over three thousand kids in it on a campus that was probably close to 100 acres that had grown as the community had grown so it's not just one building with one hallway it was you know probably four different hallways at three three different uh elevations and such and you could imagine you know to your point quinn that if something happens in one end of the building and you happen to be at the front door and you would have to be an olympic sprinter to you know run down this hallway, cut down these steps, go, go across this breezeway to get down there, to get to it within a minute or two. And that would be absolute best case scenario. Or even if you're a responding officer, drive around the school to the door. That was the closest one to it. It's uh, it's one of those realities of if, uh, if you're going to slow down the shooting, the only way to do that is to have somebody closer by than the um, it, where the police officer is coming from. And makes makes a big difference. Big difference yep, at, at the point at the point of attack is where it's needed, and you're not, you're never going to be at the point of attack unless you have enough uh, concealed carry people in many many places. Yeah, janitors, you know, school administrators, things like that. My uh, daughter's school had four um, principals for the uh, for all the different grades and such to just give you an idea how big the the place actually was and that's uh one of the largest ones in in ohio and that's where yeah there's a lot of them that are smaller 
but most of them have similar kind of problems where they have expanded over time and they aren't the uh, easiest to uh, secure at the same time. They're not a modern school to where you can shut off whole hallways and do different things like that. But whole nother uh, topic along those lines for well, hey, um, Quinn and uh, Laura, this season, I've been asking people, simple question, what do you want to be remembered for when you pass away? And I'll pass it to uh, Laura first here. Um, you know, considering what we do at Faster, I would like to be known for helping people to save children's lives. Very Amazing. good. Um, is it my turn? Did she just take yours, Quinn? <laughs> so is that why? Is that why you're stalling? No, no. Um, well, I mean, mine's mine's more and more uh, a little bit more encompassing. Um, you know, I've I've trained a, a lot of school staffers. I've I've trained a lot of law enforcement. So I've been doing academies for uh, quite some time now, and and most of the young young kids in this this area, um, I've trained in firearms and um, young kids being the baby cops. I mean. Um, and I just, you know, if I could be known for one thing, it's that, um, I gave it every, I gave them everything, you know, and as firearms instructors, we, we, we think that information is knowledge. We take some of this pri- proprietary, even though, um, it's already been invented, you know, Jeff Cooper invented most of this stuff, other people's, those, the, the people who walked before us invented this stuff. And so I, I, I never hold anything back from my students. I give them everything I can. And, and that's what I want to be remembered for is that um that uh, when when they get into a gunfight not if that when is that they remember my training and they remember that i'm, I'm the one who who gave them that training and, and helped them and i've got seven phone calls throughout my career where i owe people state dinners for for winning gunfights and those those are the best phone calls you can ever get in the middle of the night mm-hmm. amen to that one of my uh, most favorite podcasts is actually dave spaulding and we went back over books that he recommended that every uh, firearm owner uh, read and concealed carriers because he recommends to his law enforcement buddies too. And they are literally anywhere from 100 years old to five years old. But it goes along, shows you that in a lot of cases, we're not we're not inventing something new. We're just adapting it to a different type of, of pistol. You know, we're going from the old... Um, revolvers and we're going to you know semi-autos and then we're going from the semi-autos to the micro compacts and but we're applying the same skills and we're still still dealing with the same problems with it we're just uh, applying different tools to it so that was very good quinn i like that one well where can people find out more information uh with what faster colorado is doing and if they want to donate money to it or uh, potentially take and uh, take one of your courses What's your uh, website there? Yeah, folks can go to fastercolorado.org um, and they can um, find out about our courses. They can read bios on our instructors. They can contact us there. And, and certainly if they'd like to help us financially to offer scholarships, they can click on donate. And, uh, you know, 10 bucks helps. Um, any Anything helps. We're just so grateful for the support. Well, that's super. Well, I appreciate both your uh, time tonight. Great information. Um, instructors uh, out there, when you're thinking about things, think about, you know, who we're teaching and how we're, uh, you know, reaching out to them because uh, the people that need the training are the people that need the training. So very good. Well, have a good night. Thank you very much. Thanks. That's a wrap for this episode. 
And I hope you can pass that information on from Faster Colorado to other people in your area that might find it useful for organizing training in self-defense for our schools. Help us get this information out to more instructors by giving us a five-star rating on your favorite podcast app. If you're searching for information, think about going out to our website at www.farmtrainerpodcast.com and using the search function. We've got over 200 episodes and rapidly approaching 300 on various topics and probably subject out there that can help you in your business. If you have questions or suggestions for me, email me at FTP at concealedcarry.com. Visit our sponsors, especially the Farm Trainer Association, and check out their instructor insurance. Establishing your business, becoming certified, were your first steps. Now you need to make sure you have FTF coverage. Remember, use promo code FTP10 for 10% off at checkout. We bring this podcast support in the industry, the Second Amendment, and most importantly, every farm instructor in America dedicates time and energy into making gun owners more knowledgeable. Stay safe out there. Concealed Carry Inc. and ConcealedCarry.com strives to share helpful information and education about gun-related topics, training tips, and other things that may potentially have legal implications for its listeners. The information contained in this podcast is intended in good faith, but it is important to understand that laws vary from place to place, and we encourage listeners to seek local legal advice to understand laws that apply to them. Nothing in this podcast should be misconstrued as legal advice or counsel.